0: The Lord has told us what is good. The Lord has told us what he requires of us. Do you see? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. Do you see justice? A world where all are equal, a backwards kingdom where the last are first and the heavy hand has been lifted off the oppressed? Do you see mercy? Are the bellies of the hungry fed? Are the heads of the homeless dry? Have you given clothes to those in need? Do you see humility? For when it is found, there your light shall break and appear like the early morning sun. Your righteousness will go before you and you will rest in God's glory. This Christmas season, do you see?
1: Well, I'd like to say a very Merry Christmas to you, and I want to say just before we get going here, a thank you to all of you who have participated in the gift of grub. Many of you have brought uh, non-perishable food items that we'll be donating to our food banks here in Bellingham and in Ferndale, and we threw out a challenge to our church this year for everybody in our church to lose five pounds before Christmas, and that was five pounds of, of food, not uh, other pounds. And so many of you did that, and I just want to thank you uh, for, for participating in that and being able to uh, bless our community with that. Hey, there's a, um, a reality, a, a societal reality that has been a part of humanity for literally thousands of years. And and the reality of it kind of took a step up with the, uh, with the invention of the printing press. And as the media grew, this reality grew. And then with the uh, onset of the internet, it took another step up. And more recently, with social media, it's reached all new heights. And this is last year, at an unprecedented level, especially in, in the realm of Facebook, this phenomena went to just heights that we'd never even imagined what I'm talking about is fake news, fake news. And this is how it works. Someone fabricates some fictitious story or, or bit of information. And usually it's a little bit outlandish, a little bit extreme, a little bit sensational, but it's manipulated in such a way that it looks like it's credible journalism. Like this is legit stuff. And so then it's, 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 put out there and there are hundreds of thousands and yes, even millions of people that are eager to believe and not just believe but to share this information and then it goes viral and so more and more people hear this fake news. Now, it used to be in my day, you only got this stuff with the National Enquirer and the Globe and you only saw it as you were checking out at the grocery store and pretending like you weren't really looking at the headlines, but that, now it's like this mainstream and so they come up with these sensational things, I'll give you an, a, a hypothetical for instance. Like if you read something that said In-N-Out Burger is going to actually put in a store in Blaine. I mean, I'd be there right now, by the way, if that was the case. But it simply isn't true. Or that Alvin and the Chipmunks have teamed up with Chewbacca to do their own version of Mary, did you know, this year. Or or here's what crazy idea, that Hillary Clinton is running a, a child trafficking ring out of a pizza joint. Seriously? And people believe this stuff. And so you have to have things like Snopes and fact checker and those kind of things. People believe this and they spread this news. The reason we are gathered here today in this room and we join with literally billions of people around our planet is because there's some other news that has been believed and spread for 2,000 years. Not fake news, not fabricated. It is sensational and it is extreme, but it's not fake news, it's good news. And billions of people over 2,000 years and even now have not only believed and spread this news, billions of people have built their hope on this news. They have have risked their lives for this news. They have staked their eternity on this news. And the good news that I'm talking about is the birth of a child, is the birth of a very specific child. It's the birth of Jesus. And in this story, the story of the birth of Jesus in the the gospel narrative, there's a line that I love so much and part of it is, is who it's spoken to. It's when the angel appears to the shepherds, in this line out of Luke chapter 2, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. But the thing that's interesting is that he brings good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You think about how the magnitude of the task of bringing good news of great joy for all the people. Because as you've heard, you can't please all the people all the time. And isn't it true that something that may be good news of great joy to one person or one group or one organization, that same news may be bad news of terrible dread to another. For instance, the news that there's a snowstorm and the you know, roads are going to be just all filled with snow, that's good news of great joy to a kid who wants school to be canceled. That same weather report is bad news of terrible dread to the UPS driver who has more packages that he or she can deliver even in 12 hours and now to chain up and have driveways that can't be, uh, you know, navigated and hills that can't be. So it's good news for one and bad news for others, but it's the same news. Or that the roads will be icy is bad news for the Washington State Patrol, but it's good news for the man who owns the auto repair shop for the body work that will have to be done over the first of the year. Or here's one, something that is good news of great joy broadcast on MSNBC is bad news for those who are watching Fox News, if you know what I'm talking about, and the same way around. So to have good news of great joy for all the people seems like a very, very difficult task, and yet this this news, the good news that we celebrate today is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, about the birth of this child, is obviously good news of great joy for the parents, especially their first, first child. You know, there's nothing like parents who are having their first child, good news of great joy by that second or third child. It's just news. But that first one, it's good news of great joy. But it's not just Mary and Joseph. I mean, in a world that is so polarized, that's so diverse, how can there be good news for people on both ends of a spectrum? In this story, there are. For instance, on the spiritual spectrum. There are people who are very, very far from God and people who are very, very close close to God. And both of them find this to be good news of great joy. If you're familiar with this story, you know that there are shepherds involved. And we have kind of this sentimental feeling in our heart towards the shepherds. That was not the same feeling that was shared in the first century. In fact, shepherds were looked down upon. In fact, there was a, a document, a document made by the rabbis called the Midrash. Now the Midrash is not talking about shingles or anything around that. But the Midrash was this document where rabbis would post things and in that, they would put in information about despised occupations. The kind of occupations that mamas don't let your babies grow up to be these kind. And in one part of the Midrash, they talk about some of these despised occupations. Occupations like those who gamble with dice, those who are usurers or loan sharks because they oppress people and take advantage of others. In that list, is one called Pigeon Trainers, which I didn't know was such a thing, you know? Roll over, I, I don't know what they do. But at the bottom of that list were shepherds, and shepherds had this, this reputation of being dishonest, thieves, and, and just like the low-lifes. I don't wanna give you a modern-day parallel. Some of you already have it in your mind, whatever that might be. These are the kind of people we would t- We'd say they're sleazy, they're, they're scumbags, they, they, they take advantage, of you can't trust them. And this is what's amazing. The very fact that the shepherds are in the Christmas story actually does not help build the case for the credibility of the Christmas story. Because in the first century, shepherds were so distrusted, they were not allowed to be used as a legal witness in a court of law. So if you were accused of a crime and your alibi was, I was hanging out with the shepherds, Plan to go up the river, brother, because you, you can't even bring them in as, as witnesses. No one believes them. No one trusts them. And here these guys are that all of society says that is the lowest of occupations. They're ceremonially unclean. They never go to the temple. They're about as far from God as can be, and yet they are filled, it says, with, with joy, with, with delight, as they are praising God and glorifying Him with what they've seen. On the other end of the spiritual stru- spectrum are the angels, Who would ever be closer to God than angels? They dwell in his presence. They're his messengers. And the angels, they glorify God. They're praising God as they say this good news. So here you have two ends of the spectrum, and it's good news for all the people. Or how about on the social economic scale? Because there's also some some individuals in the Christmas story who are very wealthy. They're world travelers. They're from Orient. That's where they're from. Orient are. Orient are. Bearing gifts they traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. And here are these guys referred to as magi or even wise men that can travel all over the world. And then they bring gifts like gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're great wealth. And it says that they were overjoyed when they found this child. On the other end of the spectrum, there's a lady in the story named Anna. Anna is an 84-year-old widow, and in the first century, a widow almost for sure meant, financially, you were destitute. And it says she never left Jerusalem. She doesn't travel the world. She doesn't bring great gifts of gold. So here you have wealthy world travelers, and here you have this, this woman in poverty, and it's good news of great joy for both of them. How about in age demographics? There's a man named Simeon an old guy, in in the twilight years of his life, and when he sees this child, Jesus, he's so thrilled, he's so overjoyed, he just says, I can die now. Uh, My life has been fulfilled. And in this story, when Mary goes to see her relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth is carrying a child, John the Baptist, and when she comes in, it says that the baby leaped for joy in her womb, this in utero gymnastics, with joy. So here you have... This old man that says, Jesus is here, I can die. And this little baby that's saying, Jesus is here, I can be born. Both ends of the spectrum. Whether you're close to God or far from God or anywhere in between, this is good news of great joy. Whether you're a wealthy world traveler or filled with poverty or anywhere in between, this is good news of great joy. Whether you're in your dying breaths or just starting your life or anywhere in between, this is good news. Of great joy even today you see this story that we celebrate the reason we gather the good news that we believe in spread is that it doesn't matter what your race what your nationality it doesn't matter what your age is doesn't matter what your gender is doesn't matter your orientation your education or your political affiliation it doesn't matter it's good news of great joy for all the people and that's why we celebrate Several years ago, there was a survey taken in America, asking Americans, what are the words that you long to hear? You know, like, what are your fra- favorite phrases that you hear in life? And the top three, the first two you would expect, you know, I love you, you would expect that, we want that, and I forgive you, that, that, that makes sense, those would be the top two phrases that people long to hear. The third one was a bit of a shocker. These are what Americans long to hear most, I love you, I forgive you, supper's ready. And as I read that survey, I thought, well, of course, because it doesn't matter who you are. Those are good news words. I mean, that's like, I don't care about your age or what you believe or, or what you've done or how much you make. Those, everyone wants to hear those words. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. And so then I began to think, you know, that really is the summation of the Christmas story. That's the very thing that God says. That's why it's good news for all of us. Of course, he says, I love you. Christmas says, I love you. And in our world that's so torn with, with war and dissension and tension and anger and fighting, we want love. And probably the best known Bible verse in all of Scripture points out how Christmas says, I love you. In John 3.16, so familiar, it says, for God so loved. He loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was God's love. That motivated this. That was, and it wasn't just words. He doesn't just say "I, "I love you." He says, "Let me demonstrate it. Let me tell you how I will express my love." The very heart of love is to give, and the very heart of our God is that He is a giver. So many times, people get this idea that God just wants to take things away from me. Listen, God gives and gives and gives. The fact that you're alive today is a gift from God that your heart is beating, that you can draw another breath, that you woke up to new mercies today, gifts from God, that you have joy in your life and family and friends, that you can experience beauty and music and wonder of this world, gifts from God. And then it's almost as if he says, and I'm going to wait because my best gift, my biggest gift, my most lavish gift is my own son. And I want to give that because I love, I love the world. This is good news for everybody. I will give my son, and the son says will bring life, That's what I give. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, said, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. It's because of God's love, not just for the world, but for every one of us sitting in this room, that he would give his son. And it wasn't this, you know, I, I give my son to make things horrible. It's just the opposite. In in Corinthians, it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the greatest gift ever that he gives his son because he loves us. And he gives us his son, not so that his son can, can punish us or condemn us. I like how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of scripture, um, rewrites John 3, 17. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again, to take that which is broken and heal it, to mend it, to take that which is separated and bring about reconciliation. That's why. You think about in our world the things that are broken and that need to be mended, that need to be reconciled, and probably at the forefront of it all are things in our relational world. In our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our friendships, in our businesses, in our communities, in our nations, in our world, that there would be reconciliation of peace. That's why Jesus came. So he says, I love you. And then that second phrase, I forgive you, is such an important phrase. And Christmas says it loud and clear. I mean, you know what it's like to have tension in relationships, You know what it's like when there's distance, when there's separation, and maybe there were some words that were spoken that were a little bit harsh, or maybe they were hurtful words, or maybe they just simply weren't true, and it caused a a rift in the relationship. There's some wrongs that were done, some promises that were unfulfilled, some promises that were broken, and because of that, there's a breakdown in the relationship, and you know, especially if you were the one that was the one who wronged, you know how beautiful those words are. I forgive you to know that we're mending this, that we're we're coming back together, that there will be peace, that we will be reconciled. Well, that's in our relational world. How about in our relationship with God? Any of you at all ever do anything, say anything, think anything that maybe would cause distance between you and God? Here's something to think about it. will just go with the last year. Forget your whole life, just in the last year. Have you broken any of the Ten Commandments, either actual or in your ha- mind or heart? Have you broken even one of the Ten Commandments this year? Or four? Or seven? Oh, some of you are batting a thousand. You got them all. You ever had some envy, some lust, some pride, some jealousy, selfishness? Ever have any of that in your life? Ever said anything? Oops. Ever done anything? Oh. And you just sense there's a, there's a distance. It's just us here today, right? <laughs> Take a look at the people you're sitting next to, both, right and left. Go ahead and look at them. All right, you're you looking at them. Now, if, since it's just us, family and friends, we can be honest here. The person sitting next to you, if you think possibly... In this last year, they have maybe said, done, or thought something that maybe God wouldn't be real happy about. Would you just go ahead and raise your hand? You're not talking about yourself, okay. Now keep your hands up. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. See, that's what your family and friends think of you. That's nice, okay, yeah, it's going to be a wonderful Christmas for you. I'm glad I did that. How many of you right now think the person I'm sitting next to is a little bit judgmental and condemning right now? Okay, I see. Because, see, that's all of us. We all have failed, we've made mistakes, missteps, call it what you want. The Bible calls it sin, it says we all do this, and sin separates us from God. Sin puts this barrier between us and God, this distance between us and God. And how great to hear these beautiful words, I forgive you. See, there's a part of the Christmas story that for many of us who grew up with this or are familiar with it, it's a detail we don't really even think much about, but it's a very important detail and a very intentional, significant detail of the story. It's the actual name of this baby that's being born. When you think about it, here's Mary and Joseph, and they're filled with joy. They're going to have this baby boy, and they're sitting around thinking, well, what should we name him? What should we name him? You can imagine Joseph saying, well, they're going to be telling this story in Sunday school. Let's give the Sunday school an answer. Jesus. Okay. That's not how they came up with the answer. In fact, Jesus was a very intentional name given to them with an instruction, this is what you will name the boy. The angel told Mary that. And just to make sure it's really clear, in a dream, he told Joseph the same thing. In Matthew 1:21, it says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Very specific. Not just because it has a nice ring to it. It says, because, because he will save his people, from their sins, that these two are connected. This name and this phrase, the because. This is why you're to give him the name Jesus, because of what he's going to do. So there must be some tie with that. And some of your Bibles in Matthew 121, there's a little asterisk or a little number or a little letter with some footnotes at the bottom that explains why. Because the name Jesus is Greek for Joshua, which literally translated means, the Lord saves. Not the Lord condemns, the Lord judges, the Lord punishes, the Lord reprimands. No, the Lord saves. See, Jesus' name is a message of good news in and of itself. I mean, that great Christmas song, Hark the Herald Names, God and sinners reconciled. I forgive you. Something powerful about that name, Jesus. Because Jesus will save his people from their sins. I told our church last weekend um, about a, a situation I had a, a month or so ago. Uh, my wife and I and a, a friend were in Hawaii, and we took a surfing lesson. And when we went to uh, go get this surfing lesson, our surf instructor—he was the classic surfer dude. I mean, when, when he came out, it was just like you just want to say, "Dude, I mean, he, that it was him." I mean, he was—you know—here he is in his board shorts, and he, uh, not that I was looking, but he was just ripped. I mean, his abs and his buys and tries of the delts and the—I mean, he was just like I wasn't really paying that much attention, but wow, the dude was just like and 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 he was almost 60 years old, and he has his hair that's just bleached out, and he's got this tan and all just tons of sun damage on his hair and his skin. And, in fact, I've got a picture of him. There he is. because some of those ladies, some I hear you. Wow. Yeah, you're wanting to go surfing now, aren't you? Okay. And you, you just look at him and go, dude, gnarly. I mean, just, this was him. So he comes out to give us his surf lesson, sticks out his hand. He says, hi, I'm going to be, be your surf instructor. I'm Armadillo. I said, excuse me. He said, my name is Armadillo, like the critter. And I don't know what possessed me, but I just immediately just said, they call me the possum. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know where it came from, honestly. And, uh, and Tanya, who's with me, she's laughing, she says, yeah, the awesome possum. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that's kind of an oxymoron. So from now on, I will affa- affa- affectionately be known as Pastor Possum. Now, I don't know if I'm just thinking of, you know, what, what animals get hit on the side of the road? So here's Armadillo, and here I am, po- awesome possum, or whatever. Now, our parents didn't hear this message, you will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Armadillo. You know, it just, that just is a weird thing. But with Jesus, it's a different story. That his name is very specific. You will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because it's that powerful name the Lord saves. There's powerful names in our world. Warren Buffett is a powerful name. He speaks and changes whole markets. Oprah is a powerful name. You would have never even heard of Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz if it weren't for Oprah. She puts her name on you. Everyone knows who you are. You write a book and it's part of Oprah's book club, you are immediately at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. A few years ago, Oprah bought 10% of Weight Watchers. In one day, the stock shot up 105%. It's a powerful name. Adele. Adele is a powerful name. Taylor Swift, for that matter, is a powerful name. I mean, think about it, you date Taylor Swift, you break up. She writes a song and the whole world knows what an armadillo you are. (laughs) Oprah. Adele, Warren Buffett, powerful names. But those names can't forgive you. And those names can't save you. But the name Jesus. Acts chapter 4 says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. The good news of great joy is that his very name says, I forgive you. I forgive you. See, Christmas says, I love you. Christmas says, I forgive you. Christmas says, supper's ready. (laughs) Supper's ready. Like, Come to the table. We're here having our Christmas service, and some of you will have family gatherings tonight and tomorrow, and very often there's a meal involved with that. Something about a meal, you're in close proximity, you're sitting down, you're sharing food, you're sharing discussion, laughter, memories, doing life. There, there's, a, there's a level of intimacy that happens around a table. And the truth is, for some of you, there'll be an empty chair at the table this year. And someone's missing and maybe it's because of distance. They're deployed and can't come home this Christmas. Maybe it's because of death. They've gone on this year. Maybe it's because of some of the tension we talked about relationally and they've just chosen not to or they're not invited. Something's missing at the table. For some of you, there'll be people at the table you wish weren't there that sister-in-law, hello, drama, <laughs> that creepy uncle, ugh. you just want to use hand sanitizer after you are done with them. You kind of hope they sit at the other end of the table. You know, I'll be down here, but they have to be at that end of the table. For some of you, you have a kid's table where you quarantine all the germ carriers. They're not invited to the healthy parents' table. Yes, keep them at the kids' table. At God's table, there's a chair for every single one of us. And there is not one person on the face of this earth that God doesn't want at his table. There's no one that He says, well, I'm going to quarantine them. They're, they're too sinful. They're too sick. They're, they're, they're infectious. No one. He wants every single one of us at the table and not sitting at the far end. God says, come to my table and sit next to me. I have a chair for you right here. Let's share this time together. Let's be close. I mean, that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Not God way away, God right here. That's what the Christmas story says. Supper's ready, come to my table. Be at my table. Be a part of my family. Be a part of my home. And Jesus said this If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Be home for Christmas this year. Come to my table. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus gives this incredible invitation Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We'll do life together. We'll share stories. We'll make memories. We'll laugh. Come to my table. Supper's ready. You see, that's the good news of great joy. That our Heavenly Father, because He loves us, offers His forgiveness and has a table for every one of us. A chair at his table for every one of us. The good news is this God loves you, he's for you, and he's with you. And for 2,000 years, from the time when that angel announced this to these shepherds who were so far from God, for 2,000 years, God has been giving this good news with open arms. I love you, I forgive you, supper's ready, come to my table. And this isn't just a, like a Christmas one day a year event. It's not just a, I gotta get my ticket punched for heaven someday down the road. This is about the reality of our lives. To live in the love of God, to walk every day as a forgiven person, and to sit and dwell at God's table. Now maybe some of you have never ever sat at the table of God. Maybe you never really understood any of that. In fact, some of you might be here out of obligation or against your will. I I believe that God had his hand in getting you here today so that you could hear these words, I love you. I'm for you. I want you at my table. Maybe some of you sat at that table and you pushed away and you left, and God says, I still have a place set for you. Come on back. Come home this Christmas. Make it the best Christmas ever. I'm going to ask right now if you just bow your head. And if right now you're saying, you know, that, that's what I want. I want that indescribable gift. Or maybe you said, you know, I've kind of backed out of the way from the table. I need to come back home. And right now where you sit, just quietly in in your heart, would you pray something along these lines? Heavenly Father, thank you for this good news of great joy in the birth of your son. Good news not just for the world, but for me. That you would give this gift because you love me. That your love would offer forgiveness and an invitation to sit at your table. God, I want that reality in my life. I want to live in your love. I want to walk forgiven. I want to dwell at your table. Cast out my sin and enter in be born in me today. Amen. Now listen, if, we, if you prayed that prayer, and there's nothing magical about those words, it's, it's the direction of your heart. It's what God most wants. If you prayed that prayer, it's not just an event. It's the new reality of your life. And what we long for is for you to grow in that reality, to live in that love, to walk forgiven, and to sit at the table of God. And if you prayed that prayer Today on the way out, I, I would ask that you grab one of these New Testaments. They're in the commons. There's a, there's a table filled with them. There's a little look, note in here. We just want to help you in your spiritual journey. And we want to encourage you to get involved with the church. We'd love to have you a part of Cornwall. If Cornwall is not for you, find a church that preaches the word of God and lifts up the name of Jesus. And be with people who are living in his love, walking in his forgiveness, and sitting at his table. And make it the best Christmas every day. See, we live in the reality of that Christmas good news every single day. What a great thing. What a great thing.